Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to my Friday Five, my weekly topical look at news and views from the world of well-being. And as my regular listeners will know, I am coming to the end of my research and field trips out here in Kenya, and I'll be heading back to the UK in the coming weeks. But while I've been out here, I've been busy setting up various women's health initiatives and projects, including educational resources to better help women during perimenopause and menopause, more on that anon, as well as working with some of the charities and NGOs that I am an ambassador and advocate for, including Ace Africa, Tear Fund and the Fair Trade Foundation. And as part of my work, I've been visiting various humanitarian and wildlife conservation projects with a special focus, as always, on sustainable and nutritious food production, especially when it comes to organic and regenerative agriculture. So I'm delighted to be welcoming an especially fab Kenyan female founder to join me in a moment to talk about all this and more. But first, I have managed to stay somewhat connected with the UK and my homeland during my travels. And something that popped up into my inbox this week, which I have to say was a bit of a surprise, was a cutting from the new issue of Horse and Hound magazine. I have to say, not my regular reading, having neither a horse nor a hound, but it was a press clipping alert from my press monitoring service who send me things from the media whenever I mentioned or quoted. So I was curious to see how I could possibly feature in such a specialised publication, not normally in my orbit. Well, it turned out to be the most brilliant article written by Lucy Elder, entitled Lack of Information on Menopause Symptoms Directly Affecting Riders. Women Speak Out to Empower Others. Well, how brilliant that the tentacles of menopause awareness and evidence-based information is spreading across all areas of our lives, or so it would seem. Well, I was intrigued to see a bit more on this, so I clicked on the article and I will read you just a few highlights which I found fascinating and very relevant for so many of us. Yeah, well, Lucy writes this, lack of information on menopause, symptoms directly affecting riders. Well, what's all that about? So she said that Horse and Hound had spoken to numerous riders who found that their enjoyment of life and riding had been seriously affected by symptoms such as severe anxiety, mood swings, weight gain and physical pain, but that they had no idea at the time that these were linked to perimenopause or menopause. 
and some had reached the verge of giving up horses, for many their lifelong passion and source of exercise, and others had stopped riding altogether. Now, they were all keen to share their stories to help avoid others from suffering in silence and to show that help is out there. Well, here we go. So, well, while not every woman will experience signs during menopause, around 25% have serious symptoms. And the links between menopause and decreased bone density is something for riders to understand, especially given that this is a risk sport. So, of regular riders, did you know that 67% are female? And that it's believed that for many of those, riding is the only physical exercise they do. So if there's something that's creating a barrier to them enjoying and doing just that, that is something that really needs to be addressed and discussed. Well, the wonderful Diane Danzybrink is also quoted. She is the lady who started the menopause support and the hashtag Make Menopause Matter campaign after her experience of going into surgical menopause with no information about what that could mean. Well, Diane is quoted here as saying, after three months of my surgery, I started to fall into what I describe as a deep dark pit that I couldn't get out of. And Diane, a former horse owner, added that she'd heard all the scary stories about HRT and that it was made from pregnant mare's urine, something obviously that is close to an equestrian heart. Well, she said nobody bothered to tell me that things had changed significantly and that HRT mostly is in fact now plant-based. She said, I didn't get things like the hot flushes and the night sweats, but I got lots of symptoms I had no idea were related to menopause, like crushing anxiety, feeling dreadfully low and flat, completely useless, hopeless, worthless, not wanting to leave the house, being too scared to answer the telephone. It really hit my mental health drastically, she says, to the point where I came incredibly close to taking my own life. And I tell my story because I don't want anybody to ever get into that situation. So the article then goes on to include quotes from a dressage rider called Caroline Wilson. And she told Horse and Hand that her first real experience of menopause-related memory issues was when she was competing at a riding club team dressage competition. So she said that as somebody who's been doing dressage tests since I was about 10 and had practiced that particular test plenty of time trotting up to the center line, she said then her mind went blank. She said, after that, I felt dreadful, embarrassed. I'd let my team down. I just wanted to go home. I honestly thought I was going potty, she said. I was getting very forgetful. I thought maybe it was because I had a lot going on. I put it behind me and a couple of weeks later, I was on a team again at a show jumping competition. We jumped a lovely round. Then I saw the look on people's faces and realized I'd missed a fence. At that point, I thought that team competition wasn't for me anymore. Then, and I guess this is the bit where I come in, she says, then lockdown happened and with it came the boom in podcasts. Listening to Liz Earle, Dr. Newson and the Happy Menopause podcasts proved a turning point. She went to see a doctor and is now in, quote, a much better place. She says, I came away feeling much more positive and very quickly saw the benefits. I sat a British Horse Society exam in the spring and the thought of doing that was one of the things that spurred me on to talk to her doctor. 
So there you go. Very, very interesting. It's not about stopping the things that you love doing, but finding ways to keep going with the things you want to do. And that was a quote from another rider, Sam Hooper, who's passionate about helping people understand symptoms and supporting them. She says, being perimenopausal doesn't mean that you are ill. The more people know, the better they will be at getting to the doctors with the right information. And the article ends with saying you do have to be aware of what is happening and the help that is out there, as well as having some kind of support to get through it, which is so important. Really interesting, don't you think? I just loved reading that. And excellent to see the menopause being covered, even in such seemingly unrelated publications as Horse and Hound. But of course, nothing that includes grown women can ever be considered unrelated. Now, I mentioned earlier that I've been out and about on my travels here in Kenya, and many of you may have seen pictures on my Instagram of my visit to an incredible female-founded agricultural project called Ecoscapes, located on the stunning shores of Lake Naivasha in the heart of Kenya's Great Rift Valley. It's owned and managed by the landscape architect Alex Bell. It is an inspirational organic fruit and veg farm and so much more besides. And I'm delighted to say that Alex is joining me here for a chat. Now, I should say that we recorded this remotely here in Kenya. And as Alex's recording is a little bit patchy in places because Kenyan connectivity is not all it should be sometimes. But bear with us because it is a really great conversation. So Alex, a really warm welcome to my podcast. I'm so delighted having visited you in person and obviously known of you for for many years out here in Kenya that we're actually getting the chance to to chat. I know it's going to be a fascinating conversation, so welcome. Well, thanks, Liz, and lovely to chat to you, and it was such a pleasure to show you around Ecoscapes. Yeah, really good. Now, I, just before we, we hit the record button, you were saying that you'd had a bit of a drama this morning because you'd had a trapped giraffe on the property and you'd had to get the vet out. I mean, that's not kind of your average everyday farming conundrum, at least not what we're used to back in the UK. What was going on? Yeah, you know, we part of um, Ecoscapes is we've got a, a wildlife sanctuary. And um, what we have done is we've um, we subdivided 80 acres of our 150-acre farm and we've put an easement on it as a wildlife sanctuary. And that's really important, um, you know, in terms of our sustainability and, and creating, a, you know, a holistic ecosystem. So in that sanctuary, um, it's also part of... Um, what we're sort of starting to call the Westlake Naivasha Conservancy. So where we are, um, we have a number of different wildlife conservancies and we've all brought down our fences. So we've got about three and a half thousand acres of contiguous land where a huge number of animals can roam freely around these different conservancies. So this morning, one of um, my scouts rang up to say that he had spotted a giraffe with a snare. Oh, no. So we just, yeah, we called Kenya Wildlife Service and the vet actually came really quickly. So in fact, as we speak, they're, they're de-snaring this, this giraffe. Gosh, that poor giraffe. W- would that be a snare deliberately set for a giraffe or would it just be something that a poor giraffe had stumbled across and got tangled up in? You know, unfortunately, in around Lake Naivasha, there, there is a lot of, illegal poaching 
and illegal fishing. And, and the illegal fishermen um, are generally the poachers. And what they do is they, they trespass on people's land and they set snares in, in the, on the parts that the wildlife use regularly. So I don't know whether this one was specifically for giraffe, but, but we're, we're often having to call in the vet to, to take snares off with animals, whether it's zebras, giraffe, buffalo. Um, we have a huge amount of different um, wildlife mm. around around this area. I know, and I, I know it very well. My Just for those listening, my family first home was in Naivasha, not far from where you are, along the lake edge. And it is an absolute joy to have wildlife literally wandering free and wild. So amazing that you can bring that into your kind of whole holistic farming. So let's let's go back to the beginning now with you and your background. What what is your background exactly and what is your training in organic horticulture? What was what was the early stage of, of, of your journey? Well I actually I did an undergraduate degree at Reading University in the in the mid 1980s and actually took some of the first organic courses that the university offered at that time. And, and I loved it. Um, and I was, you know, I was fascinated by organic farming and I knew in my heart that it was something that, that we should all be doing and we should all be embracing. Um, but my path veered away from horticulture. So once I finished my horticultural degree, in fact, what I really loved doing was designing gardens. So I then became a landscape architect. I got a master's degree at the University of Georgia in America. And I um, finished my degree in America, worked there for a bit, and then came back to Kenya to set up my own business. So I actually worked as a landscape architect for 20 years and was, was starting to get a bit burnt out of working for you know, big corporate clients and, and wanted a change. And we had, we bought an island at Lake Naivasha, Zewani Island, which is where you came for lunch and you yes. did your podcast. Yes. And <laughs> to get to the island, we used to have to go through a neighbor's farm. And we always knew that one day he could cut off our access or not, um, but you just never know. And, and then this farm came up for sale and it was one of those serendipitous things, really. I, I was really ready for a change. Um, we needed some access to the island and this, this bean farm um, came up for sale and it, and it was right on the shores adjacent to the island. So it actually couldn't have been more perfect. So, so that was in 2014. Mm -hmm. And in 2015, um, that's when we started growing organic vegetables on the farm. And, and we've been doing it ever since. So we, we, went, we underwent a, a two-year conversion period to organic, which is what is required um, by our certification body here in, in East Africa. And so we've now been certified since November 2017. And you have a very interesting way of working, don't you? It's almost like a cooperative because your land is divided into acre plots and you have local people who farm them. So there's, it's almost like a cooperative of ownership. So they have responsibility for that patch of land that you've provided them with. And they then grow the crops and harvest them and, and just have a real sense of, of belonging and being part of it. So it's not just sort of a white Kenyan farmer coming in and imposing their rule on, on the locals. It's very much involving the local community with what you're doing. Well, yes, yes, in a way, Liz. Um, 
for now, um, our farmers, they each, our farm is divided into, into what we call one acre blocks. And, and each of those blocks is farmed by one farmer. But, but in fact, they get a salary from us. Um, and, and they then, you know, we, we, we then, um, you know, we buy all the seeds. Um, they, 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 you know, they, they work the farm for us yeah. in essence. But as you were talking about, our, our next phase is we we now we, we've sort of we've cracked the growing. It's taken me six years, and I really I really think we've we've really cracked it. Um, we've learned a huge amount. Um, it, it's cost us a lot, but but it's been really really invaluable, and and we've kind of just learned by by doing on the ground. And and our next phase is is most certainly we want to scale up. Um, we want to either buy or lease land from our neighbours, and that's where we want to introduce more of this cooperative. So, so we will own the land, um, and we will then invite we will will we'll invite people in to to farm that land, and we will offer the support services, and and we will offer the inputs, and we will we will then be able to work with them and and monitor, and and then that's how we will maintain our ecoscapes integrity in terms of our certification yes absolutely brilliant and what's interesting is you know you you keep talking about certification i'd love to talk to you about that because i've been involved with various certification bodies over the years i've been an advocate for the soil association for 30 years i'm a member of their inner circle i'm an ambassador for the sustainable food trust you know i mean i'm, I'm aware of of what goes into certification, things like fair trade, for example, which is also very big around Naivasha. Um, why is certification important in Kenya? Because obviously it does cost, doesn't it? It does cost farmers and growers to get a certification in place. Do you think there is a real role for it in Africa or is it something that we should just say, listen, it's organic, you know, these farmers don't need to pay to be certified? Yeah, it's a good question, Liz. You know, I'm a real advocate for certification because, and and I'm passionate about about um, our certification and maintaining it and and operating, you know, a hundred percent as per the the certification guidelines. And I, you know, it does cost, um, but for us, it, it's it's really important. Um, in terms of small indiv- individual farmers, well, you know, it's based it's based on your acreage and it's based on your number of employees. Right. So I I don't think cost really it should be an issue. Mm, fair enough. Um, and 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 you know, with having a cost, it, it sort of means something. Um, so that that's that's our philosophy on it. And do you think um, that, there, that there's a risk that if people aren't certified that they can fudge the regulations and the labelling because it is a bit of a wild west, isn't it, when it comes to, to growing produce, which we can come on and talk about? Yeah. So, you know, in, in, in East Africa and in Kenya, we, we have the, you know, the um, East African Organic Product Standards, which is the certification body. And, and we, we have a, a certification company who comes every year. To review to review the farm and our certi- and our annual certification, and and so if you if you are certified by um, this body, then then you can use the Kalimo High Mark, 
Liquid, which is a, you know, it's a logo. So we're entitled to use that. And if you're not certified, you're, you're not meant to use that mark. Mm. Um, and you're not meant to market your vegetables as organic. Yes. Um, and having said that, there are lots of people who are growing organically and they're, they're, they're not certified. Um, so, you know, for us, it's, you know, our motto is know your farm and know your food. You know, you are what you eat. Um, so, you know, for us, you know, what we truly believe is, you know, people, people will buy our vegetables because we are certified. Mm. We're passionate about it. And, you know, that's, that's important. Yeah. Let's move on to more broadly talking about the problems of pesticides in general and in Africa and East Africa specifically. What is the problem and how wide ranging is it? The problem is huge. In, in Kenya, in, in about nine, uh, in 2020, there, there were some big investigations into pesticide use in Kenya and there were some studies done and there was a lot of publicity and a lot written about it in the newspapers. Um, it, it's really interesting. The pesticide industry in Kenya is worth $1.5 billion. Wow. And that's a lot of money. So a lot of people have a lot at stake to keep pesticide, the pesticide industry alive in Kenya. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the small voices behind the organic movement up against that, it, it, it's quite difficult. Um, but, you know, to give you some figures, um, you know, there are 1,345 pesticides registered for use in Kenya. And of these, 11 are hazardous, are listed as um, hazardous by WHO. And 237 are moderately hazardous. Um, 24 cause cancer, 24 cause DNA mutations, 140 disrupt the nervous system, 35 cause development disorders, and 262, you know, affect reproduction. That is so, very, very sobering. When it's staggering. Yeah. Um, and, and these figures were, were published in, in, a, in a publication called The Conversation. And, and, you know, they're reputable. So, you know, these figures are correct. You know, and then are banned in Europe. I think that's a very interesting point that you make there, that a lot of those chemicals are banned in Europe. So it sounds like they're just then being offloaded in, in Africa. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, 32% of the pesticides active ingredients are the ones that are banned in the rest of the world. That's really shocking. And, and, and we just sort of ignore that. We turn a blind eye to it. What about imported produce? I know a lot of people here will be thinking, well, you know, we want to support Kenyan farmers and, you know, buy Kenyan beans and, and all of that. I mean, presumably you can get export quality organic Kenyan beans, one would hope. You you can get export quality organic beans, I think, to be honest. I don't know anyone mm -hmm. who's doing it. To look out for. Um, uh, honestly, I, I really i am not sure who is doing it. I don't I don't know of anybody. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sort of well known in the industry and I don't know of anybody who is is exporting um, certified organic products. Mm. Now, I know that when produce is sold for export, they have to, they do have strict controls, and I know a lot of the, the produce from Kenya does end up on our supermarket shelves. You know, if you look at some of the big multiples, 
you know, Sainsbury's, Tesco's, Waitrose, Marks and Spencer's, that they will all have Kenyan produce. And there will be checks and balances, won't there, to make sure that that there are not too many sprays and, and coatings of pesticides on products arriving in the UK? Uh, yes, for sure. You know, they, you know, any of the big exporters, they have to adhere to the European and, and the UK rules and regulations. But, 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 but even in the UK and Europe and America, there are still harmful chemicals being used. Sure. You know, um, you know there's, there's this thing called post-harvest interval where, you know, you can spray and whether it's eight hours or three days later, allegedly the chemicals have broken down enough for them to pass the tests. But, but then, you know, many of the chemicals are systemic whether they're fungicides, pesticides, or herbicides, which means that they're absorbed by the roots and, and they, they, um, they're in every, every cell of the plant. Right. So, you know, as much washing as you want to do, you can't, you can't get rid of those. That is a very sobering thought, isn't it? Is there anything that we can do to minimise our exposure? I mean, you say you can't wash it off. You know, does peeling help, I guess? But then we know a lot of nutrients are... Are in the peel, but, but you know the peel helps against the ones that are surface sprayed. Mm -hmm. The systemic ones you can't peel. No, um, you know it's in the flesh. It's in it's in the actual cells of the leaves. And are, are there some fruits and veg that are worse than others? I mean, I've read in the UK certainly when things are grown out of season, things like lettuces and salads can be sprayed up to forty times with different chemicals, which kind of considering that lettuce doesn't have very much nutrition in it to start with, probably negates the point of eating it. In, in, in your experience, are, are there some that are potentially more hazardous than others when it comes to fruit and veg? Mm, well, certainly, you know, a lot of the, the fruit, I mean, strawberries apparently are very heavily sprayed. Um, nectarines, peaches, those are, um, you know, they've got this dirty dozen that they, they cite in, in Europe. Um, you know, a lot of the fruit, tomatoes, bell peppers, celeries, um, potatoes, um, they're all classified as this dirty dozen. Um, in Kenya, the, the crops that we, you know, we know are very heavily sprayed, you know, you know your, your basic staples like kale, tomatoes, potatoes, spinach. Um, oh dear. <laughs> so so, that, so that, that, that's the bad news. And I guess the good news is that you and your fellow eco-warriors are actually doing something about it. And I think actually before we move on, what I would like to also throw out there is, of course, it's not just the hazards to ourselves and our families and our young children who are eating pesticide residues. There is a much greater hazard, isn't there, for those who are working with these pesticides who are actually subjected to inhaling the sprays and the people who are the crop pickers and the sorters. That's the, the, the rates of cancer amongst those people is significantly higher, isn't it, than others? Mm, I mean, studies have shown so, that, that's for sure, and, and um, birth defects and, and all sorts of other issues. So we do need to think about those who are actually producing our crops as well as those who end up ingesting the end result. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So moving on to the positive, I guess, and, and being part of the solution and not part of the problem, you were, were one of the first, if not the first, tell me, to, to launch a veg box scheme, an organic veg box, uh, which is something that we're familiar here in the UK. How's that going? And, and how, how are people taking to getting a, a delicious box of organic veggies delivered to their door? Well, it's, it's been an interesting path for us. Um, I... I thought people would adopt organic much quicker than they have done. And I thought more people um, would, would embrace it than, than they have done. So we've been in business for six years um, and, and I have a mailing list of 600 people. And of those, I know 50% open my weekly email mm-hmm. and um and of those, I have about 200 customers, of which 100 are, are regular. So, it, you know, it's interesting. I thought, I thought the uptake would be, would be better than it, than it is. And, and so we're sort of working through those, those issues at the moment, um, having now cracked the growing. It's, it's the sales and marketing that we've really got to work on. Yeah, yeah. So you, you spent all this time and effort setting up this amazing infrastructure. I guess it's just education and awareness. I mean, I, I know a lot of people in Kenya listen to this podcast now as, as well as the UK and, and many other parts of the world as well. And I think when it's brought home, the, the risks and potential dangers of ingesting high levels of pesticides, extremely toxic chemicals, which are designed to kill. I mean, when you think about it, a pesticide is designed to kill an insect or a bug or a beetle or whatever. Um, and when you put them cumulatively onto to crops, it's not just, you know, one pesticide, is that it's usually a cocktail of many. What impact is that having on our own cells, particularly to your point when, you know, you can't actually wash it off? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and actually, it's just not even ourselves. It's, you know, it's the environment, you know, so they're all going into the 
into the soils and then and that's destroying all all the you know the small bugs and pests and pollinators and and so the whole ecosystem is affected it goes into the groundwater and and that affects the groundwater um you know further away from where you are so so the impact is is huge it's, it's just not only on your farm no no I, very interesting and something that i've become more aware of over the years having written a lot about gut health, as you know, um, is that we're always talking about looking after our microbes and our microbiome and supporting them with probiotics and prebiotics and feeding them with inulin and insoluble fibre to make our gut bugs flourish. Well, if you then eat pesticides which are designed to kill bugs, I think there has to be a potential question there as to what are, are those pesticide residues then doing to our precious gut bugs that we're so carefully now nurturing with our, our kombuchas and our kefirs. You know, if we're then not eating organic fruit and veg, are we potentially doing some damage to them? I think for sure you are. Um, you know, genetically modified um, vegetables, you know, a lot of them have BT bacillus longariensis in them and, and the way BT and, and, and so that that's systemic in the plant so when a bug eats it the bacillus um, thungariensis affects the the digestive system of the bug and then it dies well we're now ingesting we're eating those plants and they they have the BT in them and and that would that's for sure going to affect our guts um, because that's how it works and then, of course, you know, glyphosate, you know, there's this huge upsurge in people who are, are gluten intolerant or can't eat wheat. But, but you know, there is this growing body of, of people who believe that, in fact, it isn't gluten intolerance. It's actually glyphosate intolerance. Wow, that's fascinating. And glyphosate, and I podcasted about this before, is just endemic. I mean, it's everywhere. It's in our water, it's in the air that we breathe, it's particularly in grain crops, it's in bread, it's in our, our wheat products. How very interesting then to make that connection with people who are eating wheat, who think I've become gluten sensitive and my symptoms improve when I stop eating the wheat, that actually it could potentially have some connection with glyphosate residues. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting, and and you know as you you always say that you know your your gut health is your mental health, so you know it, it's also interlinked, and so you know for sure eating organic, you're you're a much healthier person mentally and physically. What was fascinating actually coming to your farm, and I will make sure that we put um, pictures up on Instagram and, and across our social media channels so people can see you and see some of the amazing pictures. And I'm hoping that we can do a feature in the magazine as well, which obviously has a much longer lead time in, in print, but definitely that's, that's something to come. Is the extraordinary variety of crops that you grow. And, you know, one of the things that struck me, you're, you're obviously, you're farming on the equator. You were saying that things like apples are actually really tricky, which surprised me because I just think, well, surely anybody can grow an apple tree. You know, what what are your kind of highs and lows? What do you find easy to grow and what's a real challenge? Well, you know, to be honest, Liz, I mean, we we are growing 160 different vegetables, fruit and herbs. You know, it's a huge That's palette massive. of different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's huge. Um, and, and and really, we, we can grow everything. Um, and, and, you know, whether it's, 
you know, from carrots to onions to kales. I mean, it, the list is huge. Um, you know, our issues are, you know, seed supplies. Sometimes we'll get a batch of seed that, that are just no good. And I did show you that on the farm. Yeah. You know, and, and, and what's interesting is, you know, that you, you can see whether the good, the bad seed starts and, you know, where, and then when you change it and you get the good seed, you can see the change row by row. And, you know, the climate's fantastic. So, you know, we can grow every single day of the year. So that's fantastic. And that's what we do. And, you know, you were talking about apples. Well, apples are actually a temperate temperate fruit and they usually require a, a cold winter period. Mm. But there is some people who here who've now developed apples that grow on a rootstock that's adapted to this warm environment. So it is amazing. We are we do grow apples um, on the equator. Fantastic. And something else that, that you grow, which I'm a big fan of, particularly if they can be grown sustainably, um, are avocados. And you have some amazing avocado trees. They're not big, but they're, they're kind of, they're getting there, aren't they? And you were watching this one precious avocado gradually ripen, ripen, kind of watching it every day. And what happened? Well, unfortunately, somebody stole it. <laughs> um, I'm sorry to laugh. Somebody stole your one avocado. I'm appalled. I know. I know. Oh, it is. This, this was, it, was it a human thing. being or was it, was it a monkey? No, I think it was a human being. It was too selective to, to have been a monkey. Um, anyway, I'm unfortunate and, and one of the challenges, um, but, but that's just, just the way it is. Somebody's um, need is greater than yours, clearly. Yeah. I mean, you know, interestingly, avocados are not very good for the environment. Um, they, they require a huge amount of water. Um, mm. we, we have, we're fortunate, you know, we're at Lake Navasha and, and we actually we use drip irrigation. So we, you know, we irrigate exactly where it's needed. So very little is lost. And we don't water our avocado trees any more water than we do our other crops. Now other, you know, other farmers do really over irrigate um, and, and that speeds up their crop production and their, and, and you know, the, the fruit production. Mm. Interesting. Yes, I know. I've, I've read terrible statistics, particularly with some of the monocultures in places like California. I've read a figure, I don't know if this is true, that it takes a litre of water to grow one almond, for example, which just seems the most extraordinary waste of, of resources. And I guess for you, where you are, and I know, know in recent weeks, months, we've had appalling droughts and bushfires and all sorts here in Kenya because of the lack of water. But you're able to use these little pipes that literally drip, drip, drip specifically onto the plant. So your, your water consumption is actually incredibly low. Although, as you say, it means that you don't grow as quickly as others. So I guess for commercial growers, that's going to be have a financial cost to them, isn't it? It, it would for, you know, water hungry um, crops like avocados. Yeah. Mm. But, but, but those sort of things should all be factored in, really. Um, I don't think there's any excuse to, to over-irrigate any crop. Well, that's what I love about what you're doing, frankly, Alex, and why it's so nice to shine a little spotlight on you, because, you know, you are ecoscapes. So, you know, you're not just selectively saying, well, we're going to be pesticide-free and we're going to be organic. You actually look holistically. You're looking at the indigenous wildlife that's around you. You're looking at the water consumption. You're looking at the local communities and employment. 
Um, and then it, it's all part of that that whole kind of rhythm and I guess holistic farming in, in the true sense or regenerative farming, which is, is a term that we're hearing a lot in the UK. And that's a term that I often prefer to use, actually, to be regenerative, to be part of the solution, as, as I said before, and not part of the problem. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, with us, you know, we don't use any artificial fertilisers. You know, we make all our own compost. Nothing nothing vegetative goes to waste on the farm. You know, we have cows that supply the manure and we have chickens. Um, we have a couple of horses because my, my daughter loves riding. But but they're great. They give me lots of manure. Lots so the manure, um, yeah. <laughs> it sort of helps pay their keep, frankly. Do you grow nitrogen-fixing cover crops and do you grow things like comfrey, which you can use as a natural fertilizer? Yeah, we, we have we have comfrey. Um, we make plant teas from comfrey. We use it in our composting. Comfrey is very valuable. Um, our orchard, actually, the foundation of our orchard is is Lucerne. So the orchard is actually planted in Lucerne. And the lucerne, you know, provides the nitrogen for the orchard plants, um, which means that we, we don't have to add too many inputs um, to keep our orchard growing, which is great. That's really interesting. Can you explain that for, for non-agricultural folk? Can you explain what lucerne is and why it's important to, to sow that under your, your fruit trees? Yeah, well, lucerne is a, is a nitrogen fixer. It's, it's part of the leguminous family. So, you know, all the beans and um, but, you know, there are many different legumes, um, but, but lucerne is, is a very, um, it's a very high protein, you know, nutritious um, crop. We, we feed it to our livestock um, and to our fish. And, and so it, it serves both purposes. So, so they have root nodules that, that take atmospheric nitrogen and fix them in the soil. And then that nitrogen um, via mycorrhizobial activity is then exchanged with the plants growing around it. So they're very beneficial. So yeah, so the lucerne not only feeds our, our livestock, but it feeds the soil and, and our orchard crops. That's just fantastic. And that means that you don't need to use a synthetic fertilizer or something artificial that you need to buy as an input to go onto your soil. The lucerne is actually doing it for you. Hmm, yeah, and, and for us, because we would be using compost and manure anyway, it, it just saves us time and, and saves us a bit of cost yeah. um, by not having to constantly add, add more. Fantastic. So uh, thinking ahead now, you've achieved a huge amount in the six years that you've been setting up. And I will give details in a moment of how people can look you up and follow you if they want to see your progress. It's always lovely to connect with people the other side of the world, even you know if we can't physically come and visit you. What are your, your hopes and dreams now? What are your plans for the future? Well, yeah, as you say, having cracked the production, we we now need to grow our customer base and we do want to scale up our production. And, and we had discussed that a little bit earlier by, by you know, getting more land under cultivation and, and, and looking at this cooperative farmer um, concept. And then, you know, we really want to take our farm off the grid. Um, we want to solarize the borehole pump. We want to use biogas for cooking. And we need to build a water tower. And, and if we do all of those things, then, then we can take ourselves off the grid. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big financial investment. So we're just trying to figure out how, how we can do that. But, but that's the aim. We, you know, once, you know, once I, I can sort of move on from the growing and, and, and the sales and marketing, I want to sort of expand Ecoscapes. 
Um, and so the idea is that we want to have a, a world-class garden center there um, with a couple of restaurants. Oh, um, wow. We have some residential for sale. Um, residential so, you know, we're for sale. To okay, excellent. Everybody, I think, who wants to go off-grid <laughs> and live a more sustainable lifestyle can will definitely be heading to your website to look that one up, <laughs> bookmarking for the future. <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful. You know, they're two-acre yeah. plots. Yeah. The concept is, you know, it's it's a it's enough land that you could you could take yourselves off the grid and live sustainably on your two acres. And in fact, one of the projects that I want to do is that you know I want to build a sustainable house and and show how on two acres you can live sustainably as a family of four. Amazing, amazing. You 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 need to be contacting you know Channel Four or somebody and. And get them to, to follow you because I think that's particularly now with what's happening in the world and everybody's so concerned, uh, you know, that the ability to create our own energy and to live well and to live sustainably um, is, is very much front of mind, I think, for an increasing number of people. So I think that would make a fantastic TV programme. I hope there are some TV producers listening to this. Uh, yeah, no, certainly. I mean, it'd be fantastic <laughs> to do something like that. Yeah, for it, would you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, the other thing now, you know, I'm starting, you know, community outreach um, mm -hmm. programs. So, in fact, tomorrow I've got the Iburu Forest Fruit Growers, which we, we're, we're part of a wildlife corridor from the lake up to Iburu Forest. Um, and Iburu Forest is one of Kenya's water towers and, and it's been fenced by rhino arc. And that's a whole other conversation, yes, isn't it? Liz? I'm very much aware of that. We're trying to create these because around the lake now, the, the the wildlife is so confined; it has to have space to to expand into, and and so we're trying to create these these corridors, and but but also around the forest to protect the forest, you know, protect it from people coming and cutting firewood and mm. and poaching and hunting. What they're doing is is they are reaching out to local communities and, and finding you know other income sources for the people. So so there are some people up there who are actually growing avocados and other fruit, and um, they were complaining at a meeting that I had with them last week about the cost of fertilizers because they're no longer being subsidised this year by the government and the price is now unaffordable and they're, they're wondering what to do. So I said, look, come come to Ecoscapes. So tomorrow I've got the Ibaru um fruit growers coming to, to ecoscapes and and i'll do a workshop and and just do a familiarization of, of you know the potential of organic and how they can use it and hopefully you know i, I want to run more courses like this and, and, and we want to build a training center yes and um and, and work more closely with the surrounding communities so you'll be showing them things like underplanting with lucerne and comfrey and making their own nitrogen fixing fertilizers to take them out of the reliance on buying agrochem. Yeah, and, and you know, they all have cows. So, you know, they've got the manure. Right. So they can make the compost. And yes. and, and yes. It's, it's very doable for everybody. And, and also, you know, they can grow other crops, you know, together with their avocados so they're not reliant on just one source of income. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Absolutely fantastic. I, I'm going to have to draw it to a close, but Alex, honestly, we, I, I could talk to you all day and uh, I, I will give details of how people can find you and, and can track you. Um, before we go, though, I'd just like to ask you kind of on a personal level. I know that we've connected through podcasts and you've had an interesting kind of health journey. Um, and I know that you were saying that another of the podcasts that you listen to avidly is Dr. Louise Newson. 
aka the menopause doctor. Is is that something that we can see more of, do you think, in Kenya? I've, I've been involved in perhaps helping to set up the, the Kenya branch of the menopause charity. What's what's your take on what's happening for women's health at the moment? Well, Liz, I just think it's fantastic that, that you are getting that movement off the ground here because, uh, you know, I, I, I sort of hit a wall when I turned 50, so that's a couple of years ago. And I, I was suffering terribly from um, menopausal symptoms and, and actually didn't know where to go or what to do until I started listening to your podcast. So, Liz, thank you. It was, it was a lifesaver. Um, and through you, I got hold of um, Dr. Louise Newson. And when I was in the UK, I was able to get an appointment with her and she set me up with HRT, which really has turned my life around. So I, I sincerely, and but the problem is that in Kenya, um, people don't talk about the menopause. Mm. They don't talk about HRT. Um, you know, this 50%, over 50% of the population, you know, that they're all going to get over 50 and menopausal. And, and you know, I feel it with, with people I work, you know, with women I work with. I, yes. I can see how they're suffering. And, and trying to get the right kind of help for them here is, is really difficult. Um, you know, I couldn't get the help here. I, I had to go abroad for it. So... I'm, I'm so pleased that you're setting it up. And <laughs> well, I'm trying. anything I can to help you on that. Um, I think it's brilliant. Oh, thank you. Well, well, watch this space. And I think, you know, what's been so encouraging for me working in this space is that so much of, of what the great medics are doing here is online and it's global. You know, things like the Balance app, which is free. Anybody in the world can download it. Organizations like the Menopause Charity, you know, have resources that can be, their fact sheets can be downloaded from wherever. The 14 Fish Menopause Training, the NHS Training Confidence in, in Menopause uh, Prescribing and Care can be accessed by any health professional. So, funny enough, I was at Karen's surgery uh, only last week and I was talking to one of the doctors about something else completely unrelated. And before I went, I just kind of threw it out there. I said, oh, by the way, um, you know, do you prescribe much HRT and, and you know, what's what's your first line of action for women presenting with menopause symptoms? And she's a brilliant doctor. And she said, well, to be honest, you know, we don't really know very much about it. So I said, listen, I've got your email because I have a feeling that that's about to change. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to introducing some of the UK medics who are going to be giving their time to train some of the medics out here in Africa and take it not just from the cities, but out into the rural communities as well. Because I think, you know, as you say, there's huge need amongst this aging population, um, and uh, and women are being cut, cut, you know, shortchanged on this. So we're going to change it together, Alex. We women. Great. Okay. Thanks, Liz. Well done. Well, done. The world. You do. <laughs> well, I'm just delighted that we've been able to uh, to connect, and and thrilled that. Some of what I do has been um, a little bit helpful to you. So thank you. And can you just remind us before we go now, the best places to contact you, your Instagram, your website, what are the URLs? Yes, uh, on Instagram, we're, uh, we're on um, Ecoscapes Kenya. And on we're on Facebook um, as, as Ecoscapes um, Garden Centre and Ecoscapes Organic Vegetables. And our website is www.ecoscapes.co.ke. 
Brilliant. And I hope that many people listening in Kenya will actually join your delivery scheme, your veg box scheme, having become perhaps a little bit more aware of the perils of pesticides and the importance um, not only for the environment, but for personal health as well. So massive thanks for joining us. And thank you also for hosting me not that long ago at Ecoscapes. And very much looking forward to, to coming back and visiting you and, and watch your onwards and upwards trajectory. Alex, thank you. Well, Liz, thank you so much. And thank you for everything you do. And it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Oh, lovely to be able to chat to Alex and how brilliant are all the initiatives that she is undertaking in Kenya. Talk about putting your money where your mouth is. That is one woman who is truly walking the talk. And I do hope that this podcast gets her organic fruit and veg farm box delivery scheme many, many more customers. And if you ever get the chance to visit, do let me know. I'd love to hear. Now, one of the phrases that Alex used in our conversation was the dirty dozen. And after our chat, I went off and did a bit of research on this as I anticipated that there might be questions as to what exactly are the dirty dozen and what does this mean? How dirty is dirty? I mean, are we talking just a tad grubby or absolutely filthy? Well, when I went online and searched, I found that it varies from country to country. The phrase appears to have originated in the United States, where research into pesticide use discovered the so-called dirty dozen with a piece of research carried out annually by the Environmental Working Group. Now, each year, the EWG releases a list of the 12 non-organic fruits and vegetables highest in pesticide residues. To compile their list, they analyze over 38,000 samples taken by the USDA and the FDA to single out the worst offenders. Now, I recommend looking them up online if you want to read more, but in an organic nutshell, they are in order of highest pesticide content, strawberries, spinach, nectarines, apples, grapes, peaches, cherries, pears, tomatoes, celery, potatoes and bell peppers. And I guess that makes sense for most other countries too, because these tend to be the fruits and veg that are the softest, juiciest, probably most likely to be attractive to pests that the pesticides are designed to kill. Potatoes perhaps figure as they can be very prone to potato blight and can deteriorate quickly during storage, as anyone who buys organic potatoes will know they can shoot out tubers in a matter of weeks, if not days, after purchase. So, after checking out the work in the United States of the EWG, I then looked up the Dirty Dozen as it applies in the UK, and I reacquainted myself with PAN, the Pesticide Action Network UK, an organisation I remember highlighting many, many years ago when I was first researching and writing about pesticides. In fact, when I was writing my book on baby and toddler foods especially. Now, if you sign up to their incredibly interesting and informative newsletter, they will send you a free download called The Dirty Dozen, and this lists their research into the UK's Dirty Dozen, the contents of which might surprise you. Top of their list, grapefruit. Yeah, grapefruit. Followed by soft citrus such as satsumas, 
Oh dear, I'm thinking back to how many of those non-organic boxes of easy peelers my kids were scoffing at Christmas. Strawberries are right up there like America, then oranges, dried fruits, interestingly, such as sultanas and raisins, herbs, pre-packaged salads, grapes, lemons, pears, again, peaches, nectarines and spinach. Hmm. Makes you want to have a serious rethink, perhaps, about which non-organic fruit and veg we buy, don't you think? Well, in general, buying seasonal and local does tend to cut down on pesticide usage because the produce doesn't have to survive a lengthy transit time or time in storage. So that's another good reason to eat seasonally and shop local, preferably from a farm shop or an organic farm box scheme. And if you're listening to me in the UK, there's plenty to choose from. And if you're listening to me in Kenya, well, you know who to call. And for those wanting to know more, I can also recommend checking out the Pesticide Action Network or PAN website. I certainly spent a happy hour or so trawling through its database of articles, reminding myself yet again of the importance of organic and regenerative agriculture, not just for human health, but for our wildlife, soil health, and even to help protect the bees. Well, that's just about it from me for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And for those who are interested in subscribing to the Lizard Wellbeing magazine, I should just say that there is a terrific subscription offer that's just gone live. If you're listening to me in real time, that's on Friday, the 18th of March, 2022. And that is for not only six issues for the price of five, but three, yes, three extra free back issues to kickstart your collection, each one absolutely jam-packed with recipes, beauty tips, nutrition and health expertise and well-being wisdom you can trust. Just hop over to lizardwellbeing.com to find out more. Subscriptions cost just £34.95. If you sign up via direct debit in the UK, you will be receiving four free issues absolutely free. That's worth about £24, by the way. Plus, you get your free UK PMP. What is not to love, I ask you? Well, I hope you enjoy and have a very happy and healthy week ahead. Until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.